Welcome to our in-depth discussion on information aggregation in today's complex network society. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today's episode is quite interesting, especially for anyone fascinated by how opinions are formed and spread in social networks. Our focus will be on the paper titled Consensus and Disagreement, Information Aggregation Under Not-So-Naive Learning. This paper by Banerjee and Comptet really delves into non-Bayesian information aggregation on networks, doesn't it, Tom? Exactly, Jen. It explores a model where agents within a network select their rules for aggregating information. These rules aren't purely Bayesian, meaning that agents here are somewhat sophisticated, but not entirely, right? Right. These individuals choose among what's called Friedkin-Johnson-type rules, and these rules really capture how most of us update our own opinions when we're exposed to others. Precisely, Jen. These rules include the famous de Groot rule, where opinions are updated through linear averaging of a neighbor's recent opinions. But the twist here is that individuals can decide to add some weight to their own initial opinions as well. This is where the magic happens, doesn't it, Tom? Because it's this choice that leads to aggregates like consensus or persistent disagreement. You got it. The paper's findings are nuanced. It turns out if there's noiseless information transmission, an equilibrium is reached where everyone uses the de Groot rule, thus leading to a consensus. However, add some noise in the transmission and disagreement is inevitable. The more noise, the more individuals value their own initial opinions, even as they update, which can lead to larger opinion divergences. That's so relevant, especially in the context of modern social media networks, where information might be distorted or noisy. The paper doesn't stop there. It further analyzes the societal efficiency of these rules. They compare individual choices against what would be socially optimal. And this brings home the point about polarization, doesn't it? Interestingly, the paper suggests that equilibrium choices lead to too little disagreement when it comes to private choices versus socially optimal choices. It sure does. And won't you agree, Tom, that this gives us some real food for thought in a period where political polarization seems more prominent than ever? Indeed, Jen. The paper concludes by discussing several extensions, exploring issues like biased errors, varying communication protocols, among others. So, listeners, as we can see, this paper provides an intriguing framework to think about the equilibrium and efficiency of opinion formation and the role of individual biases in information aggregation. What struck me as profound is the implication of these findings in understanding polarization and the diversity of opinions across social groups. In summary, Tom, this paper isn't just a theoretical exercise. It sheds light on real-world dynamics of opinion formation in networks, which we daily interact with and are influenced by. Absolutely, Jen. It demonstrates not only the complexities of social learning, but also the potential consequences for societal discourse. We hope this episode has given everyone some insights into this intriguing area of research. Don't forget to tune in for our next episode, where we'll tackle another fascinating topic. Until next time, keep pondering and keep listening. And we're back from our interstellar break. Oh boy, Tom, do I have news for you, and of course our amazing listeners. Have you ever felt like your fashion sense was a little down to earth? I have indeed, Jen, and it seems our friends at Orbital Caps, the Satellite Hat Emporium, have just the thing to launch our style into a new galaxy. That's right, listeners. 
Feeling dull? Cap your cranium with cosmic charm and tech that's out of this world. Top your thoughts with the universe. They're not just selling hats, Jen. They're offering a celestial experience. With orbital caps, you can jog to the jams of Jupiter or sync up with Saturn at the supermarket. And let's not forget about the black hole bowler. Talk about classic chic meets cosmic. Or if you're the life of the party, boom, strap on a meteor shower mohawk and light up the night sky. But wait, there's more. If you act now, you might just catch the eye of an alien with your fashion-forward satellite signals. Disclaimer alert. If you find a UFO in your backyard, don't say we didn't warn you. So why wait? Visit Orbital Caps today and elevate your wardrobe to astronomical heights. Orbit your way over to their website and remember, at Orbital Caps, the sky is not the limit. It's just the beginning. Stay tuned after the break where we'll discuss if wearing an Orbital Cap increases your chances of getting beamed up for a close encounter. And now a word from our terrestrial sponsors. Welcome to our podcast on audit fees and auditor switching. I'm Tom, and with me is my co-host, Jen. Hey, everyone. Today, we're diving into an intriguing paper by Sarit Agami from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, exploring the dynamics of audit fees during auditor switching. Now, to set the scene, it's essential to understand what auditors do. They're like financial detectives, ensuring that a company's financial statements truly represent their financial position. Exactly, Tom. And their compensation, the audit fees, aren't uniform across all companies. They can fluctuate based on a slew of factors, including company size, profitability, and even the economic climate. Speaking of variability, one significant factor, and the focus of today's episode, is auditor switching. When a company hires a new audit firm, possibly due to internal changes like senior appointments or financial restatements. And Agami's paper delves into how this switching impacts the auditor's wage. It's crucial because these fees don't just affect the auditor's pocket. They might also reflect the quality of the audit itself. Right. So let's break it down, starting with the core concept, the research aimed to predict and evaluate the change in audit fees when there's auditor switching. To understand the mechanics, Agami looked at public Israeli companies that switched auditors from 2007 to 2012, a period that includes economic stability, crisis, and recovery. And the methodology? A statistical feast. The study considered financial properties like assets and liabilities, macroeconomic factors like GDP, and even changes in company structure. But what about the results, Tom? Well, they're fascinating. It turns out the direction of fee changes during the switching year hinged on the economy's stability. And more intriguingly, the size of these changes depended on alterations in company characteristics. In layman's terms, if a company went through significant changes before hiring a new auditor, the fees tended to increase. And if things were stable, fees likely went the other direction. Exactly. And it implies that predicting audit fee shifts for companies experiencing large internal changes might hinge on understanding company and economic indicators. Now, when it comes to implications, this research could shake up how auditors and firms negotiate fees, and it underscores the need for company managers and auditors to closely monitor economic environments and company changes. To wrap it up, this paper offers crucial tools for forecasting and gauging audit fees at the junction of auditor switching, doesn't it, Jen? Absolutely, Tom. It's an intersection of finance, economics, and even psychology to an extent. 
understanding these variables not only aids auditors and managers, but also contributes to a larger narrative about transparency and reliability in financial reporting. Personally, I found Agami's insights into the economic dependence of audit fees particularly enlightening. It goes to show the sheer complexity behind those numbers in an audit report. Couldn't agree more, Tom. Listeners, thanks for joining us on this deep dive into audit fees and auditor switching. We hope you found it as engrossing as we have. Stay tuned and don't forget, numbers tell a story. You just need to know how to read them. Catch you on the next episode. Are you ready to amp up your style to electrifying new levels? Get ready for Bolt's Bling Struck Tech Inc., where we put the shock in schlocky chic. With our Thunderglow pendant, you'll be the literal spark at every party. That's right, Tom. Why glow up when you can thunder up? This gem glows with the fury of a thousand storms right around your neck. And let's not forget our spark shields for your smartphone. Drop your phone and it charges itself. Now that's what I call a positive drop in call quality. Honestly, Tom, it's like harnessing a mini Zeus in your pocket. Plus, you'll be the envy of every wall hugger out there. Ah, but for the truly bold, the Bolt Spling watch isn't just a fashion statement. It's a declaration of war against the very concept of time. Count every second with a mini lightning show on your wrist. Does anybody really know what time it is? Who cares when it's this electrifying? Remember, folks, at Bolt's Bling Struck Tech, shocking sparkles at the speed of light. So charge on over to boltsbling.com and boltster your style today. And now back to the show. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen, ready to dive into a fascinating subject that affects families, market design, and government policy. Today's focus, dynamic incentives in centralized matching, the case of Japanese daycare, an intriguing paper that looks deeply into how parents play the system in hopes of securing a spot in preferred daycares. Given the complexity of the topic, we'll start with an introduction, laying out the basics of centralized matching systems and their inherent challenges. Introduction. Centralized matching mechanisms are a cornerstone of public services that involve assigning seats or spots like schools or daycare centers. In the Japanese daycare system, competition for spots can be fierce, leading to an issue where many children land on wait lists due to a shortage of daycare spots. Parents naturally seek to maximize their child's chances of getting into desired daycares. Some have devised strategies to manipulate the system, particularly exploiting the allocation of additional priority points to waitlisted children. This paper unearths the extent of such strategic behavior and provides a model that captures these dynamic incentives. It's a game changer in understanding school choice mechanisms, key concepts and background. The main concepts here are centralized matching, priority points, and strategic behavior. We'll decode these in a way that's both palatable and inviting. To understand the strategic behavior the study refers to, we need to comprehend how the current daycare admission algorithm incentivizes parents to make particular choices that might not reflect their true preferences. It's like a poker game, Jen. They could be bluffing with their initial application to improve their odds next time around. Exactly, Tom. A dynamic rather than a straightforward one-shot application process, core. Diving into the core of this paper, we discover the methodology behind unpeeling this layered strategy by parents, dissecting their application patterns, 
and more interestingly, how they change when their children are waitlisted. Researchers have used both empirical data analysis and structural modeling techniques to flesh out these parental strategies and their impacts on the daycare market. And the results? About 30% of applicants forgo listing safer daycare options to enhance their chances for more selective daycares. Quite a gamble. Indeed, Tom. It's like holding out for a better hand in the next round of the game. Implications and applications. What's the impact of this study? It shines a light on the necessity to reevaluate current priority allocation systems in centralized matching. These can have broader implications for policy reform and equitable access to services like daycare. True, Tom. It's a call to policymakers to scrutinize and possibly retool these mechanisms for more straightforward, less gameable systems. Conclusion. To conclude, the paper underscores the unintended consequences of well-meaning policies. It doesn't just highlight the issue, but also models it and stipulates the knock-on effects of dynamic incentives on applicant behavior. This study, Tom, really is a clarion call for a structural revamp, buoyed by in-depth analysis and robust modeling. The broader relevance cannot be overstated. Here's a template on how dynamic incentives can play out in various public allocation systems worldwide. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on this insightful journey through the case of Japanese daycare. It's been a real masterclass. Looking forward to our next episode where we tackle another mind-bending paper. Until then, keep pondering the dynamics at play in the systems around us. Stay curious and catch you next time. Have you ever glanced up at the moon and thought, is it time for a snack? Or panicked as the first rays of dawn threaten your immortal slumber? Then fear not, night dwellers. TikTok blood o'clock lidded has got your back, or should we say, your neck. Our exquisitely spooky clocks are crafted with the finest nocturnal precision designed specifically for the discerning vampire. Each clock tracks not only the moon's wax and wane, but also pairs it with a delightful blood-type calendar so you can plan your feasting with the same accuracy as a Transylvanian tax accountant. And don't worry about oversleeping into a pile of dust. The built-in sunrise alarm will tuck you in, all safe and sound, before the crack of dawn. Where time is eternal, and so is our customer service. Satisfaction guaranteed, or we'll refund your next victim. Just use promo code NOSFERATHEIM at checkout on our website. Happy haunting, and don't forget to tell them Tom and Jen sent you. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we've got a fascinating episode for you all, titled Revisiting Stylized Facts for Modern Stock Markets. We'll dive deep into a paper that explores the behavior of financial markets today. To lay the groundwork, let's begin with the basic question. Why is this paper significant in its field? The paper revisits work by Rama Kant from 2001, which synthesized characteristics of financial markets into 11 stylized facts. Exactly, Tom. These facts were considered universal, and they helped inform models of financial markets. But with new market regulation and changes in market structures, the question arises, are these facts still applicable? And that's what makes our discussion today so exciting. We're going to break down some complex topics like autocorrelation, heavy tails, and volatility clustering. Sounds intimidating, but we promise to make it intuitive. Let's talk about the key concepts addressed in the paper. 
For starters, stylized facts are patterns observed in financial data, such as price movements of stocks that recur across various markets and timeframes. And we'll be explaining terms like heavy tails, which describe the likelihood of extreme events, and volatility clustering, which suggests that periods of high volatility in markets are often followed by more high volatility. All right, let's get into the core of the paper. The authors investigate whether Kant's stylized facts still stand when they analyze modern U.S. stock market data. They used a massive data set, observing 10 highly traded stocks, to replicate Kant's analysis. This is where we get technical, but don't worry, we'll guide you through their methodology step by step. One of their major findings is that eight out of Kant's original 11 stylized facts are still supported in the modern market. Two are not, and one has weak support. These findings have significant implications for how we understand and model financial markets today. If certain facts no longer hold, it means models based on them may need adjustment. In our conclusion, we'll reflect on how some foundational beliefs about financial behavior hold up in the face of modern technology and changing market regulations. And personally, I think this paper's broader relevance lies in its ability to challenge existing financial theories and push for models that better reflect our current reality. So sit back, grab a coffee, and let's get ready to explore the dynamics of modern stock markets and the robustness of those so-called universal patterns. You won't want to miss the insights we uncover today on revisiting stylized facts for modern stock markets. Stay tuned. Have you ever felt like your air guitar solo is missing something, Jen? Absolutely, Tom, like actual music and, say, lasers? Well, grab your holographic pick and tune in, folks, because today's episode is sponsored by LaserLire Limited. Get ready to rock the beam with the Photon Strum Pocket, your travel buddy that fits in your backpack and shoots out concert-ready laser strings. Or, if you're feeling like a maestro of light, the Beam Symphony Hallmaster will turn your living room into Carnegie Hall with just a flick of the switch. And let's not forget the Lays Play feature, Tom, where every note you play paints a neon masterpiece in midair. It's like Picasso and Hendrix had a light baby. A very bright baby indeed, Jen. Plus, with their Virtuoso VR workshops, you'll be shredding on a laser harp while riding a cybernetic dragon in no time. So if you're tired of the same old twang and want to add some zap, zing, and zoom to your tunes, head to Laser Liar Limited and tell them Tom and Jen sent you for an electrifying 10% discount off your first laser harp. That's right. Even the price is music to your ears. Laser Liar Limited, when you're ready to play the light, fantastic. Welcome back, everyone, to our award-winning podcast, where we dive into the world of finance. And today's topic is going to be a real treat for data enthusiasts and finance professionals alike. I'm super excited about this one, Jen. I couldn't agree more, Tom. Today's episode is something special. We're going to unravel the complexities of a phenomenal paper, multi-label topic model for financial textual data by Moritz Sherman. It's a game changer for how we understand and process the wealth of information in financial texts. Before we dig into the meat of the paper, let's lay the foundation. Financial texts are everywhere. From reports to news articles, they carry critical information that affects the markets. Exactly. 
The efficient market hypothesis introduced by Eugene Fama in 1970 suggests that prices reflect all available information, but the question remains, which information actually influences market movements? That's where this paper shines, Jen. It presents a multi-label topic model, a sophisticated way to categorize financial texts, not just by one, but by multiple topics, offering a nuanced understanding of their content. And with texts like ad hoc announcements, SEC filings, and annual reports being so dense, this multi-label topic model is nothing short of brilliant for breaking them down into understandable chunks. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. The key concepts here involve understanding machine learning and natural language processing, or NLP, which allow a computer to interpret human language. Precisely, Tom. These technologies power the topic model to classify texts in ways that previous, more rudimentary models simply couldn't achieve. And now to the core of the paper. Sherman's objectives were clear. Build a model capable of capturing the complexities of financial texts and in turn understand the effects on stock market reactions. The methodology used here is state-of-the-art. We're talking about a language model called BERT, which stands for Bidirectional Encoder Representations from Transformers. It uses deep learning to understand the contextual relationships between words. The key findings? This model is highly accurate with an impressive macro F1 score. It's a statistical measure of the model's precision and recall of over 85%. And it's not just theory. It's been applied to real-world data with similar performance. So the implications are huge, Tom. Investors can potentially use this model to sift through financial news and make more informed decisions. On the flip side, companies might leverage the model to determine the market relevance of the information they sit on. Wrapping this up, let's conclude with a recap. Sherman's multi-label topic model is a significant leap forward in processing financial textual data. It truly has the potential to revolutionize the way analysts and investors interact with financial texts. Reflecting on this paper, Tom, it's not just a technical victory. It's a practical tool that can have real-world impact. Investors, analysts, and academics have a lot to gain from these insights, and it's exciting to think about how this will shape the financial industry's future. That wraps up today's deep dive into multi-label topic model for financial textual data. We hope it was as informative for you as it was for us. Join us next time for another thought-provoking episode. Until then, keep those finances and data models thriving, everyone. Are you tired of playing the same old tunes on your dusty old accordion? Want to squeeze the sound not just out of your instrument, but out of the very cosmos? Then it's time to experience the Quantum Quetch Commode GmbH. Introducing the Atom Squeeze Master 3000, where each polka and every waltz sends subatomic particles spinning. Whether you're looking to woo a wave function or coax a quark into a quick step, this baby will have the Higgs boson hopping with bellows spun from the threads of the universe and buttons that might just solve dark matter. Squeeze the sound of the cosmos isn't just a slogan, it's an adventure. Of course, we're not liable for any unintended quantum entanglements or creating microscopic black holes. Those are features, not bugs. So if your next party needs a subatomic swing, Get your hands on an Atom Squeeze Master 3000. Quantum Quetch Commode GmbH, where physics meets the polka. And remember, their accordions are big on the inside. You heard it here, folks. If your atoms aren't dancing, you're not playing a Quantum Quetch Commode accordion.